Meet Your Maker makes professional-grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry, and Meat ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount. And get ready to Deer IY this fall. Hi, hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushman and Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ring Next In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushman and Dustin. Hunters, welcome back to another Flushman and Dustin podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Hunt Ready. Uh, they bring premium gear sourced and made in the U.S. to the uplands. Good. We are excited to be a part of their group, so always stay hunt ready. Uh, tonight we have a guest on from down in Texas. His name is Ryan McIntosh. Uh, you can find him on Instagram as Southern underscore wires. He uh, offers bird dog training for... <clears throat> I'm guessing maybe more than German wire-haired pointers, but he uh, uh, breeds uh, German wire-haired pointers and is part of the AKC and NABDA testing. So, Ryan, if you could uh, give an introduction to yourself and we'll get this kicked off. Cool. Um, well, my name's Ryan, like you said. Uh, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but uh, I had a Facebook memory come up today. My wife from eight years – or my wife now, but eight years ago she posted <laughs> – <laughs> no confusion there. We always have a fancy wife, don't we? Wife now. <laughs> yeah, eight years ago she posted, "Hey, uh, Ryan's looking for a new hunting dog," and and um, it's always something I've grew up doing and kind of got out of the out of the game going through school and and uh, just been kind of too poor to do it, I guess. But um, so she was kind of getting uh, advice on breeds and everything else. And at the time, I wasn't really set on one. I would consider poodle pointers and short hairs and and um so anyway I finally, what's that yes sir yeah no peepees. <laughs> <laughs> um finally it landed on the german white herd pointers mostly at the time i was getting back into duck hunting and and um you know all the waterfowl stuff i was ate up with it but i also wanted to be able to go out to the panhandle and shoot pheasants and so i was really interested in pointy breeds mostly because my dad had always been real bitter towards them we grew up with spaniels and labs and and um well those those pointers they just run out of the country and you'll never get on a bird and this and that and i guess it was just pure ignorance because i'm you know seeing what a real pointing dog can do in the field when they're when they've really fully developed is something i really enjoy you know and I brought up uh, peepees as, um, and we talked a little bit before the podcast, but uh, my wife and I agreed on getting a poodle pointer um, this fall. Um, so I'm excited to see what it can do. I'm nervous because I, ha- you know, obedience should be the same, but I haven't gone through any normal, tra- I mean, I guess normal training, whatever that would assume of or consist of for a, a, a pointing dog. So I'm nervous about that because I don't want to fuck it up. Right. So, you know, you know, you got any tips for me just being a new, you know, I've had labs my whole life. Um, I'm 35 and now I'm just cold up blood switching to a pee pee. (laughs) You know, um, there, they are, I give a lot of shit to my, my friends and, um, the NABDA group I'm part of, uh, he's a bird, he's a, poodle pointer trainer and he's not far from me i see him very often we train together quite a bit and, and um he's taken a couple dogs to the invitational and they're really good dogs um i just you know as far as tips go i mean just do all the exposure you can from about eight to 14 weeks get them on birds and um don't put a lot of pressure on them just let them just you know put some duct tape over your mouth if you have to and and let them let the natural ability come out and Try not to let them catch birds. 
I'm gonna eat a couple rolls of duct tape. That's the case. As far as handlers go, a lot of people just start saying whoa too much, this and that, yeah. and especially when the dog doesn't even know what it means yet. So well, um, so I, I know that, you know, I know, you know, not to enforce a call if your dog doesn't know it, things of that nature, just from just from training my lab partially and and I had him train through a trainer and they taught me and that's originally why I wanted it. And originally why I wanted them to train me is because I originally thought I was just going to keep going with labs. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. you know, my wife is like, uh, <clears throat> she likes to switch it up. And, you know, I guess I'm okay with it. I mean, yeah. partial labs, but I'm going to agree with her. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, all right, fuck, now I need to learn something new. Yep. And a lot of people come from labs into these versatile breeds and, um, really kind of rein their dogs into too much in my opinion they're used to a dog working close and scared that it's going to make a mistake if they're too far away and that's just kind of something you in my opinion I, I leave my dogs from like they're a puppy to almost a year old or when they're mature enough for some formal training um I keep them pretty wild you know they know recall and stuff like that but yeah. for the most part I let them get out there and make mistakes especially if you're on wild birds it's, let them roll. I like, I like, but I like a bigger runny dog. I like one that's going to yep. range out, you know, and, and if they want a dog to keep in gun range, I think you're kind of hindering. It's, it's a hunting ability in okay. my opinion. Tell her the next question. So Ryan, would you consider you, you, you said versatile dogs. I would consider my lab pretty versatile mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not following navda standards i'm not looking at hrc standards or anything but what is your idea of a versatile dog because when i look at my lab he can waterfall hunt you know he could he could pheasant hunt he could you know if i wanted to he could sharp tail hunt and this is the only reason this is coming up is we had this conversation with some friends obviously they they stick to the book but Mm -hmm. my opinion if i if my lab can do these things I guess I consider him a versatile dog, but I just kind of want to, you know, an expert like you who trains every day and does this with your dogs. What's, what is your opinion of that? Well, I'm kind of institutionalized in the fact that, uh, in my mindset, a versatile dog to me is one that you can wake up say you have a, just the nicest bird hunting lease in the world. You can wake up and go duck and goose hunt in the morning and they do the job well they're calm level-headed and then a couple hours later you take them out quail hunting or pheasant hunting upland hunt and um you know that they're pointing dogs so it's a completely different game and they're able to kind of switch subjects very they have the mind that that like oh this is i know this game too and then you know your buddy calls and hey uh i shot this deer and i can't find it can you come help me and they'll go out and, and blood track a deer or so I've, ne- uh, I've never considered hunt. the deer. <laughs> What's that? I've never, I've That's never considered one. the deer, but yep. I would say that is, that is also. Have you trained a dog yes. for that? Ryan? Um, I haven't uh, formally trained a dog to do it. Uh, two of mine have done a couple successful blood tracks and that's really? just pure natural ability. Uh, That's awesome. It, it, I try to find, so I live, pretty close to some public land where a lot of deer hunters you can only bow hunt so there's a lot of wounded deers and I kind of put my name on a forum and I get calls here and there but it's one of those things that's extremely inconvenient it'll be like 9 30 at night and they've been walking all over the track and like, hey can you come help me and I'm like man I'm like a six pack in it's not happening you know? yeah. so, um, <laughs> I'm sorry uh, but funny. yeah you know, it's um, it's a different deal. You know, the the Germans that that created these breeds, they they hunt a lot different over there, and and uh, the German testing system is a lot different than like just NAVDA. They want they want a dog to chase a pig, and and you know, um, very fur driven, and uh, that's okay to me. But when I'm out bird hunting, I don't want them running deer because yeah. then go chasing a deer that we're not hunting or can't hunt and then up come a, a million pheasants and you're like oh, like you know so uh you can you can kind of trash break them kind of know what they're supposed to do in certain circumstances so um so i guess i didn't know that about uh germans and why they were you know 
in terms of chasing wild boar or whatever the case that we're doing. I guess I didn't know yeah, about them. They want them to dispatch coons and, and, you know, unfortunately mine have gotten into, into some and I just kind of let them do their deal. And yeah. Um, you know, sometimes uh, that that's just something natural, I chase. What's that? Yeah, sometimes that natural predator just yeah, it just kicks in. Know, there's nothing you can do about it. I have I have outside cats, and all my dogs are fine with those. Yeah. What's funny is like if so, I live so, in a pretty, so pretty a rural area. Oh, uh, just barn cats. Did, you know, we just weigh the mice. We didn't check your resume before we pulled in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just to keep the mice away, you know. I live on a, on a pretty small uh, ranch, but we're in a rural area. And if an outside cat comes around, a big tomcat, and they just get out, they chase them off, and That's they'll tree them or whatever. So, yeah, you know, I I've got a buddy that that squirrel hunts with his poodle pointers, and they they kind of track them up a tree, and huh. and um, yeah, it's they can kind of do it all if you uh, give them the exposure. So it's I know awesome. you're a big trainer and not to like get off of what your dogs do or anything like that. But to me, I guess this is important to me for me being a first time, it's going to be this fall, obviously, but getting a seven week old pup, eight week old pup. What, what's the first thing, the first two things I should do with this dog. Um, I think a lot of people want to, I think a lot of people want to hear that. Like, hey, well, I so dog, I think the know, majority what, what would of you do? That, what would you do? The, the, so the majority of folks that get dogs now, I have a lot of dogs now, but my first couple dogs, first thing I do is crate train them. You yeah. know, um, I think that keeps pups in in a, a, a safer environment. They don't start eating socks and and things like that. Keeps them out of a lot of trouble. I feed them in the crate and make it a, a good environment for them. They want to go in the crate. I can still bring in my my first dog and she'll sh- bring her in. And she hears that door open. She goes running into her crate, ready to get fed. So, and she doesn't necessarily live in the house all the time now. But um, between that and just take them for walks, give them exposure, give them the opportunity to get in water. If you got a little puddles after a rain or something like that, and just let them run around, be free, smell stuff, chase Tweety birds, whatever they want to do, just let them build that drive um when it when they you get a little on, older you, you put them on like pigeons or feathers like you yeah know, obviously so weeks, weeks down the road you have you have you have wings i guess so pheasants, i don't quail, do much with wings. um i like to do bird intros when they get their legs under them a little bit and they kind of chase uh, i'll do bird intros with a uh, quail just because they're smaller a little less intimidating and then um when they're when they're pretty confident with that and i'll start putting them on pigeons that they can also chase and pigeons are great and the fact that they'll never catch them you know so and what's, a, what's a what's a bird intro look like in terms of like a quail do you let them just point on them or you hold them on whoa are you no i just uh, uh, I put a, i dizzy up a quail and i put them out there and and uh, kind of just walk them crosswind into it and see what happens i i don't say a word i just let the pup do what comes naturally. Sometimes they'll point them right away. Some chase a few, and then they'll point after after bumping a couple birds. If the if the pup's a little timid about them, I'll give them typically like I'll I'll give them a dead quail before I ever do this. And my litter, so I have I have twelve puppies on the ground now. Come about six or seven weeks, I'll put a dead quail around and let them chase and you know, they'll, most of them will pick it up and run off with it and just be confident about it, you know? So it's not the first dead bird they've ever seen. So when they yeah. do come across a live one, they're a little less intimidated by it. So you have no problem with your, any of your pointing breeds, uh, being exposed to a, a dead bird, picking it up, retrieving it a little bit, playing with it. Yeah. Um, just make it fun. Um, short, yeah. short sessions, 10, 15 minutes, whatever. I mean, this is, these are the things I would do with my retriever. Right. And yep. I just want to, you know, I just, I'm nervous about getting a new type of dog and I have no, you know, I've read about it, uh, things of that nature, but still I'm just nervous. New things are change. Change is different. Change is, is he was probably is nervous the first time he had to use his PPT. You're expanding your horizons, <laughs> and I'm happy for you. I'm proud for you. You're going to really have a new appreciation for what I call a versatile breed. And, um, you know, I'm assuming it being a poodle pointer, it's probably pretty well bred. They're 
there you well, have a the guy, really well. Uh, the, the gentleman I'm getting them from has had a long line of uh, good breeds. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I trust him. And then I got to hunt over one of his pups that one of my buddies owned. Um, and then my wife actually saw his pup and was like, oh, shit, this dog is awesome. Like, <laughs> can't we can't we get this? And me being like, well, you know, I don't know. No, yes. No, yes. She was pretty sold on it. And uh, in seeing him hunt, he, no doubt he was a great hunter. Mm-hmm. No doubt he was a great hunter. And so, I mean, I don't have any, I don't have anything negative to say about him or any other pointing dog. Just, it's new to me, right? I've yeah. had three labs now and I know how to train them. I know what I want to do, but like getting a new, new animal and I don't want to, I don't want to fuck it up. Right. So yeah. that's my question. That's where my question. It's, it's all on what you want. So I like bigger running dogs. So I don't like to rein them in. Um, I let them range out and do what they're going to do. As long as they're kind of going with me in the field. I don't want them self-hunting and what I call self-hunting and yeah. going off. And I don't want to follow the dog. I want them to go with me. So I'll, I'll get enough obedience on them to where I can handle them. And they, they learn what I want. I want them to stay to the front. And, and uh, yeah, so I think, I think if you, Ryan, if you listen to or we, uh, Tyler and I have a couple of uh, podcasts where we talk about me dogs and we dogs, you know, and uh, my lab is definitely a wee dog where he wants to please me and everybody around him, you know, bring, yep. you know, or we have the me dogs where it's all about me. I don't give a shit what you're saying. They're not, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not trained well enough or maybe they are trained. It doesn't matter, but they don't give a shit. And they're going to do what they want to do. I want to have a wee dog out there, you know, like my dog is now and Tyler's dogs are now. They want to please us and they want to make sure that, you know, we're getting the birds and they're bringing them back to us and those things. And I'm, obviously it sounds like we're on the same page actually yeah yeah so and, and a lot of people don't have a good handle on their dog I, I get so I train full-time now and I get dogs that are just you know a lot of times they're city dogs and maybe have never been made to recall or never never maybe don't even know their name and then I've had I've had dogs that people have worked with and and done a great job starting them and that that just boosts their uh giving them a lot of more exposure so that just saves me a lot of time doing doing a lot of the easy yeah. stuff yeah. yeah for sure what made you what made you settle on the the wire haired over all the other pointing breeds and versatile breeds out there oh um man it's just a lot of social media was involved and i was just so i think I won't, so primarily at the time I was, I was mostly a waterfowl hunter that would go out. I wanted to go out and, you know, I wanted to shoot birds over a point and I just thought that was like the sexiest thing you could do. It just, it just got my heart rate up. I loved it. And, um, we're a virgin yet then, huh? So, <laughs> so did, you, did you, so you obviously hunted over. Did Coming you ever, from a lab guy, man. You don't even know yet. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> So did, did you? Uh, so I wanted a dog that was that had the coat to handle. Not that like. So I'm in I'm in North Texas, and it's not extremely cold. But like right now, it, it the real feel is six degrees, you know. So and I've got I've got some and got some duck hunting buddies that are like, man, there's like a snow nato coming. It's gonna be thirty mile an hour winds and and ice co- coming out of the sky. Let's go let's go hunt them. They're me coming down, and I'm like, well. Nowadays, I'm like, well, I'm just really not that mad at them. I'll, I'll wait a day or two and wait till it warms up a little bit. But, um, you know, so I wanted a dog that can handle the weather no matter what. And uh, I was just more attracted to the look of a wire hair over a poodle pointer was what it came down to. You know, I like the beard. I like I like the different colors they come in. And at the time, you know, you know and, I almost got a uh, weird hair griffin. Mm hmm didn't go that way because uh you know i'll be honest i saw we have a friend of ours that has one and i it didn't look like it had drive that i wanted didn't look like it had any, any of the characteristics that i was craving um in a dog but the only reason i wanted it is because i'm 35 and i have more gray hair than probably your grandpa and everybody so it's like it looks like an old man so i was like wow I fucking want that they're dog. they're very <laughs> methodical hunters and i considered them as well and um I, I saw a few really nice wire hairs go and that just sold it for me you know that they have a lot more uh 
it, I'm trying to get it a little more in the field trial game as well. And I may go a different, I may own a few other breeds, but I'll probably always, always have a couple wire hairs. I just love them. Yeah. I mean, when I look at it, like when it came down to us, like labs is obviously the top one, but then it was like other breeds that I always considered. And I considered the, um, like I said, the wired hair Griffin, but we had a buddy that has one. Doesn't really impress me in terms mm-hmm. of what it could do in terms of versatility. But then we have another buddy, his name's Brian. And he has a, he has a setter. That motherfucker will run for days. My sister has a Gordon setter who she doesn't mm-hmm. hunt the dog. She just <laughs> has one because she thinks it's pretty. And yep. that goddamn thing is, and Tyler will test this, doesn't know it's the goddamn name, but it'll run for fucking days. Yeah. I mean, you can't, it's, you can't it's call it's back to it, but that, that dog, that dog will outrun your fucking Prius. <laughs> yeah. I, I love setters. I'm, you won't see me gatekeep a breed <laughs> by any means. I, I like them all for, for what they're, what they have and uh, what they have to offer, I guess. I think setters are a classy bird dog, but I'm not going to take a duck hunting. I'm not going to, you know, I'm no. going to keep, keep it in its, it's a specialty breed. Yeah. And um, so I, I try to get a lot of, um, have you ever wanted to process your own wild game from start to finish? Meet Your Maker has you covered. Meat makes professional-grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup, guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry. And Meat ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount. And get ready to deer IY this fall. What I'm trying to do with my lines with wire hairs, I like I like kind of a hotter dog. I like them to run in the field. I want them to have a high tail. You know, I like looking at a pretty dog. And if you're going to follow it around for days and days and hunting, and I want to like it, I, I want to like to see, you know, see what i'm watching so um the griff the griffon is like i fall they're like a brocco to me i, I fall asleep watching them i like you know the little bit of style to them and enthusiasm yeah. yep. what uh so you you start out with uh the wire hair and then how long did it take you after you got your first bird dog to one get your second and then to actually start where you decided hey i'm gonna <laughs> go on to training i'm gonna start you know a breeding program we're gonna run trials did you have um, did you want to run trials when you first got when you got your first one nope so uh, my first dog um i loved her she was she was a great dog i lost her way too soon there was a car accident and and that whole oh, deal but that, but that really only just lit a fire under my ass and and um i got on a waiting list I waited like nine or 10 months for this pup. I found the best breeding I could find with, you know, I was just like, I wanted to find the best puppy that I can find on paper and reputation wise. And guy named Dan Griffith. Um, he doesn't breed anymore. He's from South Dakota. And, um, I found the lines that I wanted and, and, and got second pick of the female, maybe third, I can't remember. And, uh, it's worked out. She's, she's a phenomenal dog so that worked out so that's just kind of goes back to you know genetics are kind of everything if you if you're picky enough the extra if you're paying double the price for the puppy it's well worth it in the end and so, she's actually going to the invitational in navda uh this this fall so damn that's awesome so just to just to bring up like uh, genetics and stuff so tyler and i and <clears throat> tyler my, I'll throw myself on the bus before you or anything and not that it's a bus or anything, but we, uh, you know, my, my lab, he is going to be eight and Tyler's dogs are four and five, but it's crazy. You bring up genetics, Ryan, because I bought diesel for 450 bucks <laughs> back in the day. And you know what? He turned out to be a goddamn, what I think is, a, I always get birds. So, I mean, I, I guess you can't complain. Same thing mm-hmm. with Tyler. I know he's his dogs have not come from like a specialty place or deep bloodlines, but it's crazy to us that our dogs are still able to do that. And our biggest thing is like, you know, what do you think the biggest difference between your big 
bloodlines that you know you have and then obviously ours aren't you know is it their nose is it uh their conditioning is it their hips is it their eyes is it you know what would you say is the biggest difference in that so there's always exceptions to the rule and um, exactly exactly there are, there are. Of, of course but at the time i was trying to give myself the best chance i could getting the, the best puppy i could find at that time and i was like well if i got to spend a little bit of extra money and get a dog that I know has a good chance of having good hips, isn't carrying, and it has this little health testing behind it. And I know the dogs should be very trainable, handle a lot of uh, upper end training going through these tests. And if they're field trial proven, I know they're, they should have a little bit of go to them like I like. So um, basically I, I just wasn't willing to take a chance if it only cost me an extra six, 700 bucks and yeah, why not? You know? So, um, if that brings up Nothing another that... thing though, is if, if I see a dog hunt and I know it hasn't had any background to it and I like what I see and there's consistency in the breeding, why not? You know? So there, so there's another breeder that, that, um, always says like, use your eye test, not, not what you see on a pedigree as far as test results look like, put your eyes on the dog, hands on the dog and, and yeah. um, go with what you like. So, you know, and I, I agree with that. I think, I think that's one thing that we've learned. Um, you know, I would say Tyler and I seem to be experienced hunters, but um, after talking with some of the people we talk with and business forever, we're, we're, we're pretty much beginners is what I would call it. Um, novice. Um, and seeing things that you're talking about is, is huge. Um so there are next dogs. Obviously, that's one thing that when I'm getting my poodle pointer, I've made sure that my dog is not only have good bloodlines, but the owner comes from and knows what I want as well. So it's yeah. Huge. And the dog I uh, the stud dog I used for my this past breeding, um, I was fortunate enough to hunt with him a day in in South Dakota on the actual the guy that has the stud dog or it has the daddy to my Cora dog um, has the farm out there. And so we just got into a shitload of pheasants. And I mean, there was, there's a bunch of, bunch of people and a bunch of dogs, but like I was able to shoot many wild birds over that dog. And that meant a lot to me. So I, I was able yeah. to actually did, put my hand on the dog and see the coat and, and all that. So did that dog have trials underneath its belt or any titles to its name or. Yeah. So he, he ran, I think four trials within his first year and uh, he placed three out of the four. He nice. never campaigned the dog as a trial dog. He went through the NAVDA system with them and he's, he just at three years old, I think he is a versatile champion. So, um, you know, he just never pursued the field trial game, but I liked the way he ran. He never quit. And yeah. uh, that's kind of a lot of things I'm looking for. And I, so Ryan, I know you said you didn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean what the dog is, if it's trialed or if it's championed or whatever. It's, it's basically how it hunts. You know, what is your take? Because, like, Tyler and I, I, I put a title on my dog, early title champion, but Tyler did not. But I feel like Tyler has brought his dogs, you know, tenfold of what they were. What is, what is your take on, like, that and bringing those dogs up? Would you be interested in dogs like ours if they were – great hunters versus a dog that's a good hunter and has some titles on it i guess that's what i that's so, what i'm curious about unpopular opinion for a lot of people in, in my group uh but yeah real life hunting situations and seeing that how the dog actually handles uh maybe you're hunting a river for water in waterfowl and the dog won't hit a current doesn't isn't a hard charging dog won't, won't go in a current won't search for a duck in a real real life hunting situation um you can put on these tests all you want but you can also train it's in my opinion you can train a mediocre dog through a lot of these upper end tests if you put the time into it but seeing a dog that maybe the dog hasn't had all the training it's not as polished but you can tell that dog has the talent and i think that that goes a long way as far as the breeding world goes, people like to see the titles. They want to see all that stuff proven on the pedigrees and, and this and that. So, yeah, I mean, I like to see it both. 
if I can, if I can do it, yeah. uh, you know, it's people. So I'm a dog trainer. So yeah, people want to see like, Hey, what, what has your dog done? You know, how successful is the dog and this and that, but I'm also traveling five, six, seven States every year, hunting in different landscapes and different species. And what a rough fucking life. <laughs> hunting five six seven months out of the year hunting different species you know it's very expensive <laughs> and i don't get to do it for, i can't just walk out my front door and, and necessarily go upland hunt but i can go to my backyard throw my dogs in, in the Polaris ranger and go down to to the lake i have back here and and usually do pretty well on ducks and stuff like that so man that's awesome you sound like tyler that'd be yeah, a legit he's, setup he's got a little <laughs> just lake fucking what would you say it was like 392 just, yards just, from house <laughs> well my city yeah the pond that i use for training it's just a city pond so it's yeah it, I, you know i can't shoot anything there's only like a to the pond is like 150 yards yep. from my house which is it's nice i mean it makes it easier and i the the grass area that i use for training you know hand signals and lining memories and all that to just have a nice open areas you know, 250 yards just right past the pond. It's like 20 acres. You know, it's all it's all city land. Um, but I haven't had anybody yet. Well, I had one lady when I was some old lady walk by and yelled at me saying, I need to leash up those dogs and blah, 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 and whatever. But um yeah. And you know, we're we're talking about titles on dogs and stuff. And you know, like to me, I kind of look at, uh, so I use the Cornerstone gun dog program. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yep. It's more for retrievers. And um, so I'm, you know, I've talked with it, obviously the owner of Sock, Barton Ramsey, and then uh, the other guy that helps with it, Joshua Parvin. And I mean, those guys, these dogs that they have are just phenomenal in the field, but they've uh -huh. never ran a trial you know you've never seen them run any titles on those dogs now they may come from some of their stud dogs they have they come straight from the uk you know and they have a, a championship right. title on them but then personally as trainers and people that have built uh, a very successful program that i've had great success with you know they're not they're not running their dogs in trials but they are still successful trainers um, so I, you know, like, I think, I do think it's important that, like you were saying that when someone's coming to a newer trainer or like a trainer getting started, people are like, what, show me your success, right? Like, right. how are you going to show me that? And I think it could be in, in two ways. I think the easier way to show success is to show the titles. I think the harder way is to show how well they can actually hunt, yep. you know? Um, just cause like you said, you know, in in field trials, you can take a mediocre dog and get them past it because it's more of a controlled type environment. You know, you don't have, there's some good trainers out there that can get some, yeah. you know, maybe not so great dogs through all that stuff. So, yeah, you know, and, and like you said, when you get them to an actual hunting scenario, things change super quick, you know, yep. and you don't. If you're doing a river hunt, you got the current of the taking the duck downstream or the, the goose, or you got, you know, <laughs> winged birds that are floating two, 300 yards out, you know, and it's just, it's just different. But no, I think that you, that's, you feel Ryan, like, uh, sorry, sorry, Tyler. Do you feel like what Tyler's talking about in terms of, I, I guess, champion or titling a dog is, is beneficial as it is to just getting do uh, a dog on bird in your experience of being a trainer does that make sense uh, um, the question the question asked does that make sense to you sort of i think so, you're asking does, does, so okay so so uh, let me break it down so does it make sense to have a dog and you're like you're trying to make this dog the best it can be but you're also trying it but you also want it to be a great hunter but so does it make sense to make this dog get on more birds and make it a great hunter and do all these hunting things. So like Tyler was saying, get in there, get in the river, 
sit in a blind, we're shooting goose, pheasant hunt, quail hunt, whatever. Or does it make sense to trial this dog and have it, um, you know, do the trial campaigns where they're, everything's so controlled and then bring it back and then let it hunt? Like, I, I, I guess I'm just yeah. trying to figure out, like, you know, because I trialed my lab, he has a hunting title on him. And I'll be honest, he can do the hand signals. So I can send him on a blind retrieve. I can blow a whistle. I can stop him. I can send him right. I can send him left. I've used that maybe one to two times in the eight years I've had him versus yeah. like what Tyler's talking about. Like, hey, my dog's getting on fucking birds. And, and, and I'll test this, Tyler. His dog's getting on birds. His dogs are getting on fucking birds. And they're getting those birds. Yep. Versus, you know, oh, hey, well, you know what? I slow up. Go, go right. Nope. Go right. Go back. And I'm not a professional trainer. I'm just, I'm asking, like, what do you think? I guess, what's your professional opinion on some of that stuff? So I think they're hunting dogs first and foremost for me. Um, I want to see the Good answer. I like that. I like uh, that. They got to prove themselves to me the first year, year and a half for me to put that effort into them to do all that polished work with them. So I want to polish. I don't want to polish a turd. <laughs> I want, I want to polish, you know, a, a something diamond. that's worth my time. Yeah. So um, I, think I, tried, you know, I think I've tried doing that too many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you can, you can really kind of, push a chain uphill i guess if you really want to if if you know if, if it's all about your pride and this and that but if the dog doesn't make the team a dog doesn't make the team for me and um that's as far as if you have a breeding program if you're a trainer you're really not doing yourself any justice by really pushing something that's not worth your time there's there's a lot of good dogs being bred out there and your your money ahead just in time ahead finding something better yeah i agree like and, and there's my dogs like i said they aren't from they aren't from a huge the bloodline they aren't from that and there's a lot of things that i wish was better about uh-huh. them but they for a uh for right, me right now for me right Tyler, now tyler's done a great job right tyler's done a great like job they dogs. they give me Beginner, birds they retrieve they do what they training. need to uh, but then I look at, you know, so I'm, I'm a golden guy and that's what I plan on sticking with, you know, and then, so then I look at, you know, like thunderstruck retrievers and I see just like the speed and the agility and the athleticism that these dogs have. And I'm like, man, that's what I want. Yeah. Like, I want yeah. a dog that is just like fucking fire out of the gate. Like when I call it, you know, from when he's steady and I call that dog's name, I want it to leave smoke behind it you know like i want them to be like that and i I think that brings in like um a phrase kennel blindness you know you think you have a really good dog until you see a really great dog i agree with that too (laughs) yep and you know i think that opens up a lot of people's eyes you're like well my dog's just good in that and that you know like i've owned dogs I, i wasn't super fond of and for a million reasons but i think real hunting scenarios will bring out the holes in the dog um i've seen dogs that go through the testing system very well but when it comes down to wild birds or different terrains or this and that like you just see holes in them maybe they're not very heat tolerant maybe they just can't figure out wild birds as far as pointing dogs go um you'll realize this with your poodle pointer you'll put them on pen race birds they'll, they'll point them every time you put them on wild birds and it's like they've never pointed before and that just takes bird contacts and like figure out, yeah. oh, I'm getting too close, getting too close. So, so uh, I'll tell you uh, one thing that drew me into saying okay with my wife was to so hunt with this pool pointer. And <clears throat> you know when a retriever uh, gets on a bird and the bird's kind of running, basically you can't keep up with that fucking dog, right? It's just, it doesn't matter how much, I feel like Diesel is one of the best controlled labs out there i can control him as long as his collar's working as long as everything's on his whistle i can keep him where i want him but when the bird is running he's kind of like here here and then he's like going out Mm -hmm. his poodle pointer ended up controlling itself on its own 
And I asked the owner, um, I said, what the fuck was that? So this Puda pointer would actually like go and it would like, you could tell all of a sudden it hit scent and then it would like maneuver itself super fucking slow. And I'm not saying this is how all dogs are. So I could get a dog and it could be a lobster and suck shit. I don't know. But anyway, his <laughs> dog, like, I mean, I, I, I get it. Like, uh-huh. but anyway, his dog would somehow maneuver super slow like it was stalking these birds and we were able to get close with the dog so nothing got far out and all of a sudden boom it would just lock up and i was like i'm like well that's fucking pretty sweet where diesel like when he's on a bird i'm confident he's on a bird and i know he's on a bird but when that bird's running i'm also fucking running <laughs> yeah so you're talking about very two different worlds flushing exactly exactly so and, and i get that I get so that's bird manners in each in each kind of different uh, subjects. You got flushing dogs and you got pointing dogs. I would say what that poodle pointer did was excellent bird manners. It it knew to move slow and cautiously. It was close, didn't want to get too close. But is that bird if that bird runs off its nose and doesn't smell it as strong? Oh, that bird's running. It knows to move forward and stop, and and that's fantastic. That's I mean, not every dog has that right away. Um, as far as flushing dogs when they're on a bird they you those guys especially the field trial flushing dogs they want a hard flushing dog so they want it to go in so it's yeah. a complete opposite so, thing you know so it's a it's a double take for me because diesel is in and so tyler's dog has learned a, a form of this maybe not the full form but diesel and people said in this kind of stuff there's like oh the only bad dog is a pointing lab <laughs> my dog's a black lab and he fucking points and i never trained him to do that and he never was trained to do that he just fucking does it so like yeah. he will just he will just pull up and he will just point and i'm like oh shit and you know what 95 percent of the time there's a damn bird there um and now all of a sudden you know i think tyler can test to it too his dogs will point and I, i'm not saying that's from diesel 100 percent um but some of it, they had to witness him pointing. And so now his dog's point, too. So it's crazy. And then we hunted with a guy this last season who has a black lab. And now all of a sudden, his dog's pointing. Yep. His lab is. And so it's just crazy. It could, be, like, it could be the dog learning bird manners, too. Just like well, you know, what Ryan so said. That, but yeah, it's different. The big reason I got into pointing dogs from the very beginning is I, was, I didn't want to. We hunted with spaniels and labs. Or, uh, um, springers and labs and uh i remember they're like well that dog's on a bird it's trailing after it you better go if you want to get a shot and i'm like and i was young then i was like man this sucks you know <laughs> um so I, I just wanted a dog that i could turn loose and if it had it it had it if it messed it made a mistake then whatever the bird flew off but um i do hear that if you run a flushing dog especially a young one with a pointer before it really gets a lot of experience, it'll it'll kind of be like, oh, is this what we're supposed to do? And like, so now 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 I'm being cautious, and it slows down their flush, and eventually they're pointing. And huh. that's that kind of sounds like what's what happened. Yeah, it, it, I mean it does. And he wasn't. <laughs> I, it, the, the, so I bought the dog for four hundred fifty bucks. I bought him just to one hunt because I was young, and then two just to be a companion because i traveled for work so i was gonna take him with me well then i have traveled so much that so i was like well fuck i can't even take you with me so i wasn't gonna put him in a vet and just let him sit there so i was like well, i'm just gonna pay you to run these comps with these people right yeah. <laughs> so so that's what i did and then he became a hunting champion and they're like you don't know what you have here and i'm like wow well there's a lot of people that you know they're closer working and yeah and if they're you know so i I understand why people like them absolutely yeah it's just people definitely like to throw shit when the when you got a retriever that points yeah oh and i will every time it never (laughs) fails i always tell people well i got the fucking bird that's all that matters yeah i mean and i appreciate that too so you know but like you said if you're if you're running trials and stuff with it, obviously you're you're gonna get docked, right? Like, yeah, it's not gonna happen. Um, but it it it's definitely 
you know, it's, I would say there's sometimes that it's pretty nice when they do lock up on a bird sitting tight. Cause it's like, all right, now I got like four seconds before they go in and flush it. And I yep. know for sure the bird's so, there. Ryan, if you haven't seen, you need to take a look at uh, Lola. That's Tyler's gold. She, sometimes she, she's an incredible dog. You can take a couple looks at her videos that Tyler's posted and she'll lock up on a bird and, Almost every time, I mean, we're talking 90% of the time, almost catch every bird that she's pointed on. She's got it in her mouth. Like she points and then just like creeps the hell in as slow as she can and then tries <laughs> to grab it. it. It is amazing. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we got a, <clears throat> the way I, there's a viral video, so viral on social media of her. She almost caught a hen this year she was on it and it was like underneath the snow and she pounced on top of it and it just like escaped her mouth and it has like i don't know 2.6 million views right now oh yeah people raving about it which i mean it it hasn't benefited us and you haven't seen any money from it but um, <laughs> no, it's, rolled in yet. yeah no it, it is pretty cool you know, so when, that, when that snows on top of the grass like that, like those pheasants, they, they have a, they don't want to fly. They, they don't want to oh, break man. through that little barrier, you know. And and uh, this year in South Dakota, when I went to go up and breed my dog, I hunted with that Hank dog I used to, to breed her. And and uh, there was quite a few pheasants that we were able to reach down and just grab. We could see the tail feathers what? sticking out of the snow. Yeah. So, Seriously? you know, you imagine like six or seven dogs just locked up on point backing and pointing and you just reach down and just... You're like, oh, it's right there, and it's a hen. So you just grab it and throw it, <laughs> you know. Or a That's rooster. Never crazy. Had that, never had that. You're like, before. yeah, you just grab a wild rooster and pick it up, and you're like, well, that's not very sporty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank God I uh, spent money on these shells, and I get to save some. That's freaking yeah. nice. Yeah. No, I mean, like, well, you might as well just let it fly. I guess. What do you do? Yeah. You know. So. That is yeah. crazy. How often? How often do you go to uh, North Dakota, South Dakota area? Uh, so this past year was the first time I've ever hunted North Dakota and, and South Dakota. Um, typically I don't go more, more North than Nebraska, but if I really have the issue of pheasants, I'm just going to go to South Dakota every time. It's well worth it, a little extra drive. So God, you know what? Son of a bitch. <laughs> Tyler and I have been going there for six years now. Yeah. South, South Dakota for six years now. And we have private ground permission. Uh, two of them don't let anybody else hunt. I mean, we have luck, but I, I wouldn't say it's like great luck. So, and then people say, oh, it's your dogs. Oh, it ain't my fucking dog. Because when I hunt in Iowa, we always get birds. So I don't believe it's Tyler's dog or my dog. Not a pointing dog or a retriever. It has nothing to do with that. We are just not getting close enough to the birds. So like you then, then we talk to you, Ryan, and you're like, Yeah, I'm just grabbing them out of the I'm just grabbing them out of the I'm just like, oh shit. So, so I had I hunted I hunt Kansas pretty often, and this year it was just so warm. It was nearly 70 degrees every day, and they haven't had any rain since September or something stupid like that. So it was just dry and dusty. You can just see the dust coming off, and <laughs> the dogs yeah. just can't smell them. And um I, I knew there was bird. We were walking over birds left and right because I'd be I'd nearly step on a hen or you know and just yeah. like wow. So there there's birds there, but the big advantage is going up further north is you know when you get a little moisture on the ground, cooler temperatures help the dogs sending conditions, and I think that makes a world of difference. Yeah, this year our South Dakota weather sucked. It was so freaking warm. <clears throat> it's like sixty, no moisture, nothing yeah. on the ground. Yeah, you, uh, luckily when I was up there, it was perfect. It was like 30 degrees and about two inches of snow on the ground and some 10-mile-an-hour winds. And I was like, oh, yeah. it doesn't get much better than that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> what, uh, what states did you all hunt this year? Oh, uh, so this year it was North Dakota, South Dakota. I hunted Kansas and um, a little bit of Oklahoma and uh, West Texas. So, and it was actually – kind of i kind of cut my season a little short just everything i had going on and um 
but usually I, I try to hit New Mexico and Arizona, hit all the desert quail and oh nice. And, uh, I never did make it make it over there. Have you hunted? You've hunted Arizona and New Mexico. Yep. Which yep. Uh, out of all your states that you've hunted, which one's your favorite and why? So I'm a quail hunter. I, I really enjoy chasing quail, and uh, I think Arizona for me does it. Um, New Mexico is pretty good, but Arizona is just has more native quail species okay. than, than any other state. I think maybe you know, that's not right, but they have like four or five and, um, you can go hunt Mern's quail for a day. And then the next day stay at the same hotel and go to a different spot and hit gambles and scalies. Nice. And those running birds are really fun. Once you figure them out and your dogs figure them out and they're a lot of fun. Did it take your dogs a while to figure them out, or they do pretty it good right away? It took a few trips for them to really be successful on them. And um, my my Cora dog, she she's probably my best one, and she'll actually those you can actually in a lot of terrain you can actually see those birds running in front of you, and she will a lot of times go around and kind of flank them around and pin them between me and her. Oh, that's cool. And, and you just see something like that. And I mean, you're like, wow, that was freaking cool, you know? And yeah. Those, those scales, you get big cubbies of like 50 birds get up, and then you can just work young dogs on all the singles. And it, oh, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yep. Incredible. Like, how smart some of these dogs can be. Yeah. You know, they there's like, you know, like you said with that poodle pointer, like she'll go on point and she realizes, oh, they're running. And so she'll move real cautiously and stop and go and stop. And then, and then one day she decided, screw this, and then went around. I was like, what is she That's doing? crazy. And then spun around and pointed at me. And I was like, well, that looks pretty honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think in, yeah. in those, in those situations, so like out in Arizona, <clears throat> New Mexico areas where you got those running quail, do you think there would be an advantage or not to running a flusher with a pointer? 100%. Yes. And uh, a lot of it boils down to what kind of what kind of pointing dogs you have. Like some of my wire hairs, you shoot a bird and they hunt dead pretty well. Yeah. But, they'll, but like a lot of pointers and, and um, setters, they just want to go off and find a new one, you know. So a um, buddy of mine in, in West Texas, he runs primarily – point english pointers and he has a cocker he runs and she just finds every dang bird that he shoots because you know that yeah. that's another specialty breed they find a lot of birds and they're big running dogs they cover a lot of country um so that's that's really cool to see the dogs work together and um hopefully i've got a cocker coming this this season as well they're good for you know doing pen raise guided hunts and stuff like that yeah. so you can have the dog pointing and have them go in and flush in front of the dog so you don't have to walk in front of six shooters or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you're a bigger yeah. target than they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think um, one of the more challenging birds is the Mern's quail. And um, that the glory of those birds, though, is if you are if you have a big running dog, those those birds will hold for a dog. They'll go – I mean, I've – I've heard is that stories. Just, is, that, people is, that, is the Merns quail just located in Texas? I don't know. No, no. There's there's a small portion of them, New Mexico, and then in Arizona. Okay. Uh, they kind of look like a clown. They're um, they're a really cool bird. They're fast flying. They they really your shooting window is very short. They hook around the little live oaks that are out out there. I think they're live oaks, but anyway, it's very hilly, rugged terrain, and. Um, you it really uh brings out how tough your dog is in that terrain and how well they can run in that so it's very rocky and hilly yeah and you know your gps goes off dog on point and it's two hills over you're like <laughs> oh hell <laughs> so you start walking 20 minutes later you get up there and boom there it is you know those birds just hold so tight and it's usually pretty warm so a lot of dogs have a hard time smelling them yeah you know? That would be tough. Do you run in that train? Do you run boots on your dogs? Uh, not in Merns. If I run my dogs enough in that sandy desert stuff, it wears down their pads. I think if I lived locally and they did it more, I wouldn't would have be, to. Yeah. But um, going out there, yeah, I usually do end up booting a dog. I try not. I try my best not to. I yeah. hate booting a dog because 
if you boot them right away, they don't ever learn what to stay away from all the cactus or, you know, everything's pokey and trying to kill you out there. So yeah. I try to run them a couple of days without boots, but they get, eventually they get pretty sore and I end up booting them on a, you know, a week long trip or whatever. So, yeah. How many dogs are you usually run in <clears throat> at a time when you're out in these areas or different well, states? So I, or... with, I usually, when, if I'm going way out there, I'm usually with buddies. So, you know, I might have one or two of my own on the ground and then they might have one or two. And so we've had four or five dogs on the ground, but you know, at the same time, including maybe a cocker or something like that. But yeah, um, you know, I, I try not to get too many out if someone's, you know, it can get kind of chaotic, especially depending on the dog. If I'm trying to keep them steady and stuff like that for, for all these hunt tests and you know, yeah. whatever, then I'll, I'll be more cautious of who I run the dog with. If it's pretty wild and it's, you know, it's not good for them. Yeah. Don't want to take after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah teach them any kind of bad habits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's one of your favorite stories that you can give us? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh well the earliest one i can think of um christmas i got a remington 20 gauge 870 pump i think i must have been 12 or 13 years old or somewhere in there uh dad and i went hunting with his with his friend who had springers and we took our labs and this memory will always stick with me because i was so embarrassed but there was a uh, oil field uh, pump and a road going to it they they're like hey go stand on this on this road and they pushed a draw that had all these uh i guess they were probably dead sunflowers or something like that just great cover for pheasants so they're pushing this draw towards me and i'm blocking and i might sound like a liar but I bet there was probably 100 or 150 roosters all together get up with over a 15-minute period and fly yes. right over my head. And I know I had two boxes of shells with me. And at the end at the end of the push, I had a pile of yellow shells on the ground. And Dad comes up. He's like, hell, how many did you shoot? You know, worried <laughs> that like, I shot more than my six or six bird limit for Texas. And uh, I was like, well... I don't think I hit any of them <laughs> and the barrel was smoking. I've never seen that before. And I was just, he was like, what the fuck? Oh, that's awesome. So you use a 20 gauge when you, when you go. Oh, um, so depends. I, I have a uh, Ruger red label that over and under that I shoot. Oh, nice. If I'm shooting for quail, then yeah, I, I prefer it. And I have a 12 gauge over and under I shoot for pheasant. Yeah usually and i bet i bet you were pretty embarrassed at the end of that uh oh man <laughs> that yeah. i mean i was just i mean i was just i was just overwhelmed with the situation how old do you think you were pumping. huh how old do you think you were oh between 11 and 13 years old <laughs> and oh. you know my shoulder was bruised the next morning <laughs> that's like i didn't have anything to show for it and i was like man that's and, like kids that get buck fever here in yeah. Iowa, the I didn't know what to do. I was just pulling the trigger and pumping, <laughs> and, like, <laughs> not hitting shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't know what to aim at at the time, and and I heard about it for five hours on the way home. Oh, that's funny. The the first year that I went deer hunting <laughs> with my grandpa, and I, he set me up next to him. I think I was like probably twelve or thirteen as well. And uh, I was speaking of buck fever, I had a a buck come i don't know it was probably like 20 yards away mm -hmm. and to, oh, to be honest i don't know how big it actually was but at the time when i was that young i thought it was freaking huge and yeah. my grandpa's yelling shoot tyler shoot shoot and i just i couldn't even raise the gun it just freaking just kept on walking i was like what the fuck your hands are just shaking <laughs> yeah and afterwards I, it like got 60 yards away and i finally raise up and fire went off and i'm like well that was a waste of time yeah and, you know so. like I, that that's never happened to me before but i've never also seen that before but yeah. i've heard towards the late season there all those roosters just like group oh, up man. together like that and that was just something that 
dad was like you'll never see that again you really yeah. fucked that up <laughs> <laughs> that many birds that'd be crazy yeah no it was it was unreal that's awesome that is awesome well ryan we appreciate you coming on the podcast we had a great time love learning about your wire hairs yeah thank you very much all your hunts uh hopefully we can meet up sometime and and get out um we definitely want to hit up nebraska and kansas for some for some birds so um we'll keep in touch and if we're in the same area at the same time maybe we'll get out for a hunt yeah absolutely uh you know the dog world's small but it's also really big you know it's brought me to a lot of different states and yeah across the country and the camaraderie it's, between everybody has been awesome and and um luckily i have a supporting wife that lets me do what i do and for sure enjoy it so i uh, appreciate me you too. guys having me on me too yeah thank you all right have a good night see y'all